I think that Paul would have been down with our vision and our mission of faith and community. Faith, we see this throughout his missionary journeys. He had a desire to um, speak about Christ to everybody that he met. And along the way, he, he spent time in community. We see fruition of that here in chapter 21. Paul lands in Tyra. And what does he do when he first gets there? He looks for other Christians. And so further back in the book of Acts, in the beginning, we see that the disciples, they dispersed. And what would have happened? Along the way, they would talk to people, told people about Jesus. So he gets to this port, he gets to this place, and he's wondering, I wonder if there's any Christians in this place. And so they, they stopped at that port, he's looking around, he's finding people as they're talking that yes, there are Christians in that place. The Bible says that Paul and his companions, they stayed there for seven days. Seven days because they had to unload the ship, maybe they had to wait for another ship, but regardless, they spent seven days there. They didn't know the community. They began to gather information about who were believers, and when they were there, they found the local church. And so my guess is, obviously, they entered into conversations. They took time to get to know stories. They found out about the believers in that place. Who brought them the word, the truth? How did they hear about the gospel of Christ? Tell me about your growth and where you are in your journey now. So they would have had these types of conversations about their growing faith. And then Paul shares with them, and I'm sure as we've seen in other places, that his reputation would have preceded himself as far as who he was and that he was Saul and that he was a killer of Christians. But he would have shared his story about how he came to Christ and then where he was going. And so Paul shares with them that I am going to continue on. I'm going to take the gospel to Jerusalem. And so when they heard this, it says, the Bible says, through the Spirit, they urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit, they urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Now, we'll come back to that at a later time in this passage because it comes up again. So seven days passed. Um, it's time for Luke and for Paul and the other disciples to leave. And so they, they, they walked out of the city, they got to the beach, and they prayed. But what is pretty impressive about this, Luke tells us that all of them. So there they are in this port, they're there in this community, all of the believers are gathering around for a week, and it says that all of them, women, children, all of them, they go out to the port and they see Paul off. They knelt and they prayed. I think that's impressive. Why? I mean, they were there for one week. That's it. They built such a relationship with that community there that it was important enough for them to walk out of the city, to go to the beach, and to kneel with them and pray for their future journey. I mean, that's impressive to me. They wanted to say goodbye. And so they got to the beach and they knelt and prayed. 
I love that. You would have heard, hopefully, if you've been around, know, love, grow, right? Know a Christian community, uh, love a community, love a Christian community. How do we do that? We eat meals with them. In seven days, they would have broke bread together, right? They ate meals together, but they also prayed. I'm sure that it wasn't the only time that they prayed when they were at the beach together, but they prayed with one another, for one another, for the journey and for the mission that Paul had in hand, As the body of believers, as a community, I hope that we pray for one another. I hope that over the next few weeks, you know each other's story. I hope you take time to pray for the needs, to pray for the stories, to pray for the situations that people are going into. Acts 21.1 says, we had torn ourselves away from them. So it's the first verse of the new chapter. What are we talking about? It's the same scenario in chapter 20. Here is Paul. He says goodbye to the Ephesian elders. And when he says goodbye to them, he knelt down with all of them and they prayed. But verse 1 says they had to tear themselves apart from one another. There's community. There's a bond. There's a love for one another. I'm sure that they did the one another's of scripture with them as they were together in the community says, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Cultural thing, right? Guys kissing the guys as they're leaving. Cultural thing, but it says it right there. It happened, right? So here, here they have this experience where, where they shed tears because they were leaving. I mean, I, I really hope, in all sincerity, I really hope that in your lifetime so far, You've had found a community, a Christian community, that that when you leave them, that a tear would come or that you would be like, oh man, I'm going to really miss that person. I know that I've done that before. I've been here for a number of years, but before that, I did a little ministry for about three years. I did one for about five and a half years and another one for three years. And if all three are looking, sure, I cried at all three, but really two out of the three all right, I love them all. I love the people in every, every situation, but I can, I can distinctly remember like really being torn up thinking, man, I shared life with you. I did life with you. No. Yeah. Um, but, but honestly, I remember that, right? How it was hard to leave them because of what we shared with one another. Living in today's culture on the university campus, a thriving faith, to have a thriving faith, we've got to be in a spiritual community. God never created and God never meant for us to do it alone. That was not his purpose for us. Again, I mentioned it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity, in perfect community. And so when we go in our lives, when we're, we're doing our day-to-day with people, wherever we go, we need to find community. Some of you are close to moving on to the next stage of life after graduation. I, I've heard it mentioned before that the decade of 21 to 30, how important. Now, again, I'm 50. I, I've done youth ministry. I've done campus ministry. Now I'm an older guy. And, and I think regardless of the decade, regardless of the age, they're all important. One of the things that you need in any stage of life is you've got to have Christian discipleship. You've got to have Christian community happening. 
But I heard someone speak once in that very conference room that the decade between 21 and 30, that, that there's so many changes during that time, right? Right now you're preparing for that call, for that vocation, for that job. You're excited when you leave to go and see what that is. You get involved with that and, and you want to, to do your best in that job. And sometimes you, you want to move up and you want to be promoted and all these things. And so you're driven in that. And sometimes, I mean, you've got to have a paycheck. And so, therefore, you're, you're buying things. And so, you're, you're getting the car, the home, the whatever. And, and that is an important thing in your life. And, and for some, you know, it, it's that, that person that you find that maybe you'll marry someday. And maybe, maybe it'll go on from there to have kids, whatever. The point is, there are so many things in that decade, that 21 to 30, that are happening, that if we are not connected in community... If we don't have spiritual discipleship, a faith community, then it's hard. Then we can lose our vision. We can lose our way. It's important to find that. Maybe some of you will go do an internship this year. Ah, it's only two, three months. So what? Like, like pursue it. Look for it. Find it. Look for those places now a place where you can land, a place where you can have community. It's really important in the life of a disciple. Acts chapter 21, verses 10 through 16, it says this. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt. I don't think it was a belt like we have today. It would have been much bigger, okay? He took Paul's belt he tied his own hands and feet with it, and he said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, the owner being Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When he heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Uh, some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So here's a question. Are the promptings, and we'll go back here in a minute to chapter 20, but are the promptings of the Holy Spirit in chapter 20 and in chapter 21 in conflict with one another? I mean, I think that's a, that's a question that we have to wrestle with. Because when you first read them, it's just like, wait a minute, Holy Spirit says go, Holy Spirit says, oh, please don't go, you know, which is it? And so in chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, it says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task of the Lord uh, Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So Paul is compelled. And then we get over in chapter 21, 
And through the Spirit, they, the people around, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. That's verse 4. Verse 11, the one we just got into. The prophet Agabus binds Paul with his belt and says this is what the Jewish leaders will do to him. Furthermore, Agabus said uh, the message was from the Holy Spirit. So is there a contradiction? Verse 12, the people with Paul pleaded with him, do not go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, Paul pushed forward saying not only was he ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. Verse 15, he goes. He's sent off, he goes to Jerusalem. Now, I don't believe that we can come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit contradicted himself. I don't. At first read, it appears that in chapter 21, Paul goes against the voice of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Could it be that in verse 4 and 11, and these are just like hypotheticals, okay? This isn't like, thus saith the Lord, this is the truth, this is what happened, all right? So I'll answer as we go. Could it be that in verse 4 and 11 that the speakers were claiming inspiration without being inspired? Does that ever happen today? I, I, I think so. Has anybody here ever heard, the Holy Spirit told me, this is the word of God, this is what God told me, this is exactly what I should do, right? Has anybody heard those types of words? I think we probably have. But I don't think um, that this would be the case. John Stott, theologian, he said this, we would have to interpret other references to the Spirit in the same ambiguous way. You know, if we're going to interpret it that way, uh, we would have to do the same when there's other leadings of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God, it is God's inspired truth, okay? But in saying that the speakers claim to be inspired, I think it should warn us, I think it should give us pause at times before we say things like that. Like, we really need to be sure. Is this the word of the Lord? If we go to somebody and say, God told me, I mean, we need to spend time. We need to be in silence. We need to be in solitude. We really need to hear the word of the Lord before we speak like that. I believe it to make sense to, to look at prophecy or prediction, okay, same type of word there, and prohibition. In verse 11, the prophet Agabus, he predicted that Paul would be bound and handed over to the Gentiles. Now, I have no idea. Um, I think we have a guest the next encounter. I have no idea. Who knows? It's fluid, baby. It's fluid, right? Podcast, Podcast video, something. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's going to be covered there uh, the, the next time. But I, I, I wonder with, with uh, well, let me just do it. Spoil alert. What Agabus said happened, okay? The prediction that he brought out as we continue and read on, it happened. The prophecy, and it's pretty sure that, that this Agabus would have prophesied before, uh, earlier in the book of Acts, about a famine, okay? So I, I think he was pretty reliable. But what he said about Paul it indeed happened. 
And so I, I, we can trust that. Verse 4 is more difficult to deal with. Where the urging comes from the Spirit. Verse 4 says the urging comes from the Spirit. Again, we'll use someone that's much smarter than me, John Stott. He says, him as a resource, he says, Perhaps Luke's statement is a condensed way of saying that the warning about what would happen to him was divine. Okay? I think so. It happened. While the urging was human. Now, now think about that. I, I think that, that could happen, right? Like, like the warning is divine. Agabus says, man, you're going to go and you're going to be bound and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. And indeed, that happened. And so there's, there's a, a prediction, there's a prophecy. Now, human beings are around him, and they're listening, and they're taking this in. And man, our flesh just jumps up, right? And, and so with that, maybe the urging not to go was more human than Holy Spirit. I, I'm good with that. This explanation, though, would go with chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, where the Spirit of the Word the Spirit's word to Paul combined the compulsion to go with a warning of the consequences. We see that in 22 and 23 of chapter 20. Teacher and writer Mark Moore, he weighs in on the passage saying that it was a real possibility that Paul may have been disobedient. Okay, I'm not saying for sure that's what happened. I'm not saying that because he went and again, the, the church continued to go. But he said maybe he was disobedient. After all, Paul was a fallible human being, right? I think something that all of us have in common here tonight, yes, we are Christian, possibly. We are Christ followers, possibly. But all of us, regardless of where we are in life, we're messed up, right? We're sinners. We're fallible. We do things that, that go against God's word, God's best, God's desire for our lives, and so that's what Mark Moore says about, eh, he's fallible, maybe he just went on his own. Two things that should not be missed in this passage. One, Paul's desire. It's incredible, is it not? I mean, Paul's desire, there it is in chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. He gets these warnings from Agabus in a prediction but his desire to continue to take the word of the living God to Jerusalem is incredible. Man, you're going to be bound. You're going to be taken and tried. All of these things, he's like, I'm going. I'm in. He even says, you know, if I'm bound, I, I'm, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die in order to take the word of God to Jerusalem. And that's impressive. Lord God, help us. Lord God, help me. To be a person like that, right? To be bold in those certain situations. Another thing that we should not miss is when faced with hardships, and again, honestly, some of you here may have had incredible hardships by now, by the age of 20, 22, 19, whatever you are. Some of you here may have had some incredible hardships. I don't know your story, all of your stories. But there are I mean, as you move forward, as you move forward, as long as you live on this earth, there are chances that you're going to have some incredible hardships, right? What I like about Paul's case, and if you look at the Gospel of Luke and what happens here with Paul in this chapter and the chapters to follow, 
about the trials, about, about how the Jews were, were saying this about Jesus and this about Paul, and, and, and they were saying he's guilty, and the Gentiles were saying, no, I don't see anything wrong. I mean, their, their stories are very similar in these two gospels. So with Paul and with Jesus, in their two accounts, Christian fellowship encourages them to continue on the right path. Back again to the importance of Christian fellowship, to be a part of a community, to have that discipleship in play, to have that accountability. It's vital in our lives. So Paul had it with the elders. Paul had it with Luke. Paul had it with other Christians from port to port. Jesus, I mean, he had the disciples, but, but honestly, he had the, the, the God, the Father, Here's the God-man, God the Son, but he had God the Father. Mark 1.16 says very early in the morning, Jesus got up and he prayed. Right? He's in constant fellowship with the Father. And so that kind of community in Paul and in Jesus' life, in our life, it helps us to continue on to live the life that God has called us to live. Next section. Chapter 21, 17 through 26, the last section. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all of the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. I love that. It wasn't Paul. It's what God had done. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you to do. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay for their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in the reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should be, uh, abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood and from meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice that the, the, the date when the days of the purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. In this next section, we see differences within the church. Okay? That's important. Are there differences within the church today? Yeah. I mean, that's why you have this church on this corner. You have this church on that corner. Um, you have differences in churches between the United States and another country. There are differences in the church. Paul was commissioned to minister to the Gentiles, and James was the head of the Jerusalem church. Paul, he comes in to Jerusalem. He gives testimony about what God had been doing through the ministry. And it says that he was received warmly. And the elders of the Jerusalem church, they praised God for the work. That's pretty awesome. Paul's this leader. James is this leader. Um, but they're, they're, they're praising together what God had done. But then, 
After that, hey, that is awesome. Hey, we praise God. Job well done. After that, James and the elders, they jumped right into the rumor mill. And so they're like, hey, Paul, we heard about this teaching. Um, the, the, the Jews who live among the Gentiles, that, that they don't need to practice circumcision. What's going on here, Paul? Again, Mark Moore's commentary says this. The Jews were radically protective of their heritage. Now, was there any truth to what Paul was saying? Did Paul at all say that, eh, circumcision, no big deal, don't, don't worry about that. Any truth in that? Anybody? Was there? Yes, thank you. There was. There was truth in that. So where do we go with this? Um, there's a few different passages. There's Galatians. There's 1 Corinthians. I think Philippians. Then he touches in Romans, Okay. Time-wise, we're going we're to look at one. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. I get shook up just saying it. Uh, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Okay, so what is Paul saying in Galatians? What is Paul driving at uh, he, he starts in Galatians 3. He carries on in Galatians 5. What is he driving at? Paul is driving that the Holy Spirit's a big deal. Okay? How do you get the Holy Spirit? Um, it, it, it's faith in Christ. And, and so what was going on with the, the Jewish believers, it, it's this conversation, does it come by works of the law? Or does it come by faith? Which is it? And so there was a difference in these two churches, in this belief. The answer is what? Does it come by works, by the law, or does it come by faith? What's the answer? Faith, right? So you're right. It comes by faith. That is the correct answer. Paul's heart is revealed, though, in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. That's his answer. What value is there to being a Jew? What value is there in circumcision? He says, much value. Much value in every way. Paul's own actions throughout his ministry shows that, that these are isolated, uh, Galatians 3, Galatians 5, other, they're isolated statements, okay? He, he, he lived as a kosher Jew. He attended feast in Jerusalem. He took vows. And furthermore, I don't remember who taught on it, but in Acts chapter 16, what happened? Timothy, he wants to go with the apostle Paul on a missionary journey. There are going to be Jews there. Timothy's not a Jew. What happened? Anybody? That was, that was the, ooh, dog, that was it. <whistles> snip, snip. So he had the circumcision procedure done. A grown man, have mercy, all right? So, so Paul, Paul is in line. Again, Mark Moore, listen here. <clears throat> Mark Moore says this, Paul never objected to Jews being Jews, for one to participate in his or her native culture is hardly a subversion of, of salvation by grace. They were just participating in their culture. 
Paul's objection was never to Judaism per se, but in its inappropriate imposition on Gentiles as a condition for salvation. You get that? James and Paul, in their respective books, in their respective writings, and in their ministry, they are not opposed doctrinally. Now, there have been arguments in, throughout church history with, with uh, look, hey, James, look at James, I think, two or three, you know, faith and work, you know, and, and so everybody wants to pit them against each other. They are not opposed doctrinally. Although that has been, uh, again, out there in church history. When it comes to salvation by grace in Christ, through faith, they were together. They were unified. James simply wanted Christ's followers, he wanted Christ's followers to show, um, okay, I believe in Christ, then what should you do? You should live it out. James wanted, if you believe, if you're a follower of Christ, then the works. I want to see the fruit in your life. That's all James was talking about. Ethically, they both um, are, are Christians following the moral law as well. The issue between um, James and the Jerusalem church and Paul, it was about culture, it was about ceremony, it was about tradition over the topic of circumcision. And so Paul, uh, James, and the elders, they laid out a plan. I read it there. Uh, you know, you're going you're gonna to go through these ritual rites, and you're going you're gonna to follow this, and then you're going to pay their fee. All that stuff, he did it. He followed it to a T. The apostle Paul did. He did what the, the, uh, the, the church and the elders with James asked him to do. He went through the purification rites. Paul submits. I love that. Here's a leader. He's written most of the New Testament, one of the greatest missionaries ever, if not the greatest. And what does he do? He humbles himself and he submits to another church leader. That's impressive. I, I think we can learn a lesson from Paul. In closing, uh, just a couple thoughts, and really, they're short thoughts. Paul, um, again, and I mentioned it, but he was willing to die. He was willing to go to Jerusalem to tell them and share with them the gospel. He was willing to die. I don't know if anybody's ever played that in their mind, like, man, if like, Something happened and, and like you were at gunpoint and what would you do and, you know, about your faith? Like, would you die for your faith? I mean, I, I heard it before and it's a really good question because it's a journey. It's a lifelong thing with trials and tribulations and temptations. But let's not go, are you willing to die? But like, are you willing to submit and are you willing to live your life for Christ on a daily basis? That's what he's calling us to do. The second thought in closing, the band can come on up, is this. In thinking about culture and tradition, let's strive to be humble and submissive like Paul. I mean, you could probably think between churches, there are some traditions that this church does and this church they don't do, right? Is that reason to be in an argument. Most of the time, no way. I, I think about how many of you have ever been overseas on a mission trip, okay? Have there ever been any traditions or cultural things on the field 
that looked a lot different than your American church. Anybody? Yeah? Right? So you, you've experienced that, right? <clears throat> so here's what will kill the trip and kill your opportunity is to be like, oh, no, this is how it's supposed to be, right? To, 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 to put your authority into the situation. I mean, Ukraine, been there three times. Absolutely, regardless of where you stand, absolutely no alcohol, period, period. So do you go over there and you talk to the leaders, leaders of how dumb that is? Yuri? Um, no, we don't do that. Like Yuri's over in Ukraine, he's like, oh man, I'm going to get him. Um, no, you don't. You don't. Right? Why, why is it? Why is it? Maybe there's a cultural reason. I mean, if you walk the streets of the Ukraine, uh, I mean, every adult, it seems like, has a brown bag with a bag of liquor, and there's just alcoholic after alcoholic, and there, there's, it's a struggle. And so as a church, they just say, we're not going to go into that. Um, I think it's Honduras, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure with Felipe, like, are they allowed to have piercings? Is that the mission station? No piercings? You know, so it's like for, for our students that have gone there, you need to take that out during that week. Now, are we going to be submissive? Is that kind of like, that's different, right? Like, I, I don't have an issue, right? But do we go over there and say, eh? No, we submit to the authority. Let us learn from the Lord's word tonight. Let's pray, and then we're gonna worship. God, thank you so much for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his desire. Thank you, Father God, for his example. I pray, God, that you would help us to be bold, help us to love people, and help us, Lord God, that when we, when we leave a place that, that, that people are sad because there was true, rich community there. Thank you, Father God, for your word. In Christ's name, amen.